Excuses for Aggression Though democracy is often praised as the height of civilization, cooperation, and getting along, it is the exact opposite. Voting is an act of aggression, and loving democracy amounts to loving widespread violence and constant conflict. Political elections are not about togetherness, unity, or tolerance. They are about arguing over how everyone should be forced to behave and what everyone should be forced to financially support. Via the control machine called government, the abundance of campaign signs littering lawns prior to every election are not the sign of an enlightened, free society. They are the sign of a mentally and physically enslaved society, bickering over which slave master they want holding the whip. Every single person who votes, Democrat, Republican, or third party, is attempting to put people into power who will carry out large-scale extortion, taxation, to fund various government programs. Any candidate who would suggest doing away with all such robbery entirely, repealing all taxes, would be ridiculed as an extremist kook. All voters attempt to empower a gang that they know will commit mass robbery, yet none of those voters accept any responsibility for doing so. They know what their candidate will do if put into power. They know what the consequences will be to any who then disobey the commands of those politicians. But the belief in authority makes the voters psychologically incapable of recognizing that what they are doing is advocating widespread violence. In fact, notwithstanding the traditional mythology and rhetoric, no one who believes in government actually wants it to be administered with the so-called consent of the governed. If it were actually done via consent, it would mean that each person's political preferences would be imposed only upon himself, unless others happen to advocate the exact same agenda. Obviously, the goal of the voter is not to compel himself to financially support things he likes, nor is it to control his own choices and behavior. The goal of every voter is always to use the mechanism of government to coerce other people into making certain choices, funding certain things, and behaving in certain ways. Indeed, the individual statist sometimes has a very lax view on his own obligation to obey the myriad of political commands, laws, feeling he is competent to rely on his own common sense and judgment, regardless of the law, while at the same time feeling everyone else needs to be controlled and micromanaged by authority. He believes that he himself is trustworthy and moral, and can make his own decisions, and that the purpose of law is to keep everyone else in line. The degree to which different voters want authority controlling others varies significantly. The Constitutionalist wants the federal government to force others to fund only the things specifically designated as federal matters by the U.S. Constitution. Meanwhile, the Progressive wants government to force others to fund all sorts of other things, from art to defense, to caring for the poor, to education, to retirement programs, and so on. But while the two types of voters differ in the degree and types of aggression they support, they do not differ in the principle. They have both accepted the premise that authority has the right to forcibly extort money for government functions that are deemed necessary, 
They differ only in what counts as necessary. The thinking of almost every statist is paradoxical. On one hand, statists know that every law they condone is a command backed by the threat of violence. They are fully aware of things that are done to any lawbreaker who gets caught. But the average statist, when asked, will vehemently deny that he condones the initiation of violence against his neighbors. On a practical level, the statist knows that any political agenda he supports will, if enacted, be administered by whatever level of intimidation or brute force is necessary to obtain compliance from the people. Yet the average statist, while being fully aware of this, will also exhibit a huge logical disconnect, refusing to admit that he is openly and directly advocating for forcible extortion and coercive control of millions of innocent people. The reason for this is that the statist believes that the entity called authority has the right to rule, and as a result, when it commits violence, it doesn't count as violence. As long as the violence is done by those claiming to be authority, who are imagined to have an exemption from the usual rules of morality, don't steal, don't assault, don't murder, etc., even those who are the most ardent proponents of various taxes and other laws can continue to imagine themselves to be peaceful, compassionate, non-violent people. Some even imagine themselves to be pacifists. Because everything government does is done via force, or the threat of force, there is no such thing, and can be no such thing, as a statist pacifist. While obviously not all anarchists are pacifists, all true pacifists are anarchists. There are many ways, a few of which are addressed below, in which otherwise decent, virtuous people condone aggression and assault, intimidation and robbery, because they believe that it is perfectly allowable for a superhuman, mythological deity known as government to commit such acts and therefore believe that it is perfectly moral and virtuous for them to ask government to commit such acts. Charity Through Violence The typical statist is profoundly schizophrenic, being both completely aware and completely unaware that he personally advocates the widespread use of violence against others. A dramatic example of this would be those who view themselves as loving and compassionate for supporting government programs to help the poor. What they are literally advocating, via their support of welfare programs, is a massive extortion racket in which many millions of human beings are robbed of billions of dollars, via the threat of being caged. Proponents of such charity through violence imagine themselves to be virtuous and caring because of what the needy may receive, while completely disassociating themselves from the threats, intimidation, harassment, forced seizures and imprisonments which they know occur and which they know are essential to any welfare program. Because of this bizarre selective denial, those who believe in government can be totally aware of the brute force by which the laws are implemented, while being seemingly unaware that they themselves are condoning such brute force when they demand such laws. The belief in authority is what allows for the strange psychological contradiction 
as it convinces the advocates of wealth redistribution schemes that the victims of legal extortion have an obligation to cooperate, and the use of violence against those who do not pay their taxes is therefore justified. As a result, the basic measure of morality and virtue is turned completely on its head, with the welfare advocates viewing themselves as compassionate for advocating violent theft while viewing as despicable criminals any who try to avoid or resist that violence. Similarly, advocates of Social Security, a Ponzi-style wealth redistribution scheme, imagine themselves to be caring and compassionate. Blinded by their belief in government, they fail to recognize that they are not only forcing people into what is falsely represented as a government-run retirement scheme, but are also adding insult to injury by insinuating that the people cannot and should not be trusted to plan for their own futures. It takes a serious disconnect with reality for someone to vehemently support coercing people into participating in an investment program which invests in nothing and has no assets, and which has a return far worse than most real investments and actually does not guarantee any return at all, and then feel noble and charitable for having forced people into such a scheme? Not only is there no social security account, individually or collectively, that is paid into, but the U.S. Supreme Court, in Fleming v. Nestor, 363 U.S. 603, has made it clear that no one has any contractual rights to any social security benefits at all, regardless of how much they have paid into the system, and that Congress can shut off any or all benefits at any time it wants. Advocates of Brutality Quite often throughout history, heinous oppression has been supported by the people in part because people were unable to recognize evil as evil when it was committed in the name of law and authority. If people truly believe that government has the right to rule, as almost everyone now believes, all sorts of authoritarian solutions will be supported, or at least passively accepted by most people. For example, many Germans in the 1940s, who themselves would never commit or condone private intimidation or assault, much less murder, nonetheless eagerly supported the idea of a legislative, government-approved, and government-administered solution to the so-called Jewish problem, as Hitler called it. It was officially sanctioned and done via law, so the people imagined themselves to be blameless for whatever happened, even if they vehemently advocated it. Americans today, suffering from selective denial, are quick to righteously condemn what other violent, oppressive regimes have done, but slow to recognize that, as a result of their own belief in authority, they too condone widespread, draconian brutality in the name of law, even when oppression goes beyond mere threats and intimidation and leads to constant, widespread, open violence and brutality. Most people, as a result of their belief in authority, are still unable to recognize it as evil. An obvious example is war. The nationalism that is so strong in authoritarians blinds them to the absolute evil which they condone and support in the name of national defense. In many cases, this blindness is intentional. 
Politicians and conservative voters alike complain when the blunt realities of war are shown to the American people. They want to wave their flag and cheer for their team, enthusiastically participating in the pack mentality, but they do not want to have to actually see the real-world results of what it is that they support. They can be persuaded to proudly support the troops and believe in a supposedly righteous war in the abstract, as long as they are sheltered from having to see the carnage, blood, guts, and body parts which their patriotism is causing. Though love of one's country is still portrayed as a great virtue, the truth is that killers on both sides of every war, including those who fought for the most brutal, ruthless regimes in history, have been motivated by a feeling of righteousness that nationalistic pack mentality gives them. War could not happen without soldiers putting their devotion and loyalty to their own gang, tribe, or country above doing what is right. Patriotism and the belief in authority are two key ingredients to war. The easiest way to dupe basically good people into condoning evil is by portraying acts of aggression and conquest as fighting for one's country. While rulers have been practicing mind control over their subjects, in many cases the mind control of those who believe in authority is self-inflicted. They want to believe in their country and in some righteous, abstract principle, some ideal, some noble cause, e.g. spreading democracy, without having to think of what is happening in simple, literal terms. It is easier to support mass murder when it is called war and more so when it is called national defense. When it's cloaked in authoritarian pack mentality terminology, it allows its proponents and those actually making it happen to imagine themselves to be supporting something brave and righteous. While individual soldiers may truly believe they are fighting for a noble cause, it's impossible to be a good guy and be at war with an entire country, as discussed previously. The way governments wage war is never justified, and never moral, as it always involves widespread violence against innocents, but that is a fact that nationalists, left and right, refuse to see. Another example of the modern draconian brutality, legally committed in the free world, comes from the campaign of violence known as the War on Drugs. In the name of trying to stamp out a habit, not violence, or theft, or fraud, but a mere habit, millions of non-violent, peaceful, productive human beings have been assaulted, terrorized, and caged. Enforcement of narcotics laws occurs in a particularly brutal, vicious way, with paramilitary invasions of private homes being commonplace, and many year imprisonments for victimless crimes being abundant. And the advocates of the war on drugs are well aware not only of the overtly violent enforcement actions, but also of the fact that the only measurable effects have been higher prices for certain mind-altering substances, more crime committed to pay for such substances, violent conflict between rival sellers of the substances, and more funds, weapons, power, and legislative permission for those who wear the label of authority to harass and assault innocents. Even if it actually worked and eliminated or significantly reduced the use of certain drugs, such brutality would be absolutely unjustified and immoral. But even if it had utterly failed to get an inch closer to the stated goal, many conservatives enthusiastically cheer for more harassment, terrorism, and violence. 
To add hypocrisy to fascism, most of those conservatives drink alcohol and act morally identical to the behaviors they want authority to violently stamp out. And while millions of lives continue to be destroyed by the brutal, draconian crusade, many statists eagerly blame the victims by declaring that they broke the law and therefore deserve whatever is done to them. So, to the supposedly moral and responsible conservative, even if the person has harmed no one and committed neither force nor fraud, if he has simply disobeyed the arbitrary decrees of his masters, he deserves to be assaulted, caged, or killed. And, of course, such conservatives view it as unforgivable if one of the targets of such fascist thuggery decides to fight back. From the twisted, delusional viewpoint of the devout nationalist authoritarian, it is noble and virtuous for the state mercenaries to violently assault and attempt to kidnap and cage a productive, peace-loving pot-smoker, but heinously evil for a pot-smoker to use violence to defend himself against such aggression. Such is the insanity caused by the superstition of authority. Forced Benefits Statists often defend taxation by arguing that the forced confiscation of wealth by government becomes retroactively justified when some of the confiscated money is spent in a way that benefits the one from whom the money was taken, or at least benefits society in general. For example, a statist may argue that if someone drives on a road that was funded in part by money taken from that person, or indirectly benefits from others being able to use the road, then that person should not complain about having been taxed to fund it. Ignoring the true nature of the situation, statists mischaracterize this as simply paying for services, but no one would make a similar argument when authority is not involved. Suppose, for example, that a restaurant delivered a meal to someone who had not ordered it, and then sent over armed thugs to collect $100 from that person. If the person, after being extorted in that way, chose to eat the meal, no rational person would argue that that would make the restaurant's actions morally acceptable. Yet that is exactly analogous to the usual view of status, that if someone benefits from government services, he should not complain about taxes. The unstated premise is that legal robbery is perfectly legitimate, as long as authority afterward provides some benefit to the one who is robbed. And it seems to make little difference to status whether such a benefit is only indirect, or is horrendously expensive, or is combined with all sorts of other things which do not benefit the person at all, or which the person morally opposes, e.g. funding war or abortion, or some religious or anti-religious agenda. This is because statists believe that ultimately it is the prerogative of those in authority, not those who earn the money, to decide how wealth should be spent, and that, as long as the ruling class claims to be robbing and controlling the people for their own good, the peasants have no right to resist whatever coercion and violence the masters deem necessary. Attacking to Defend an offshoot of the notion that government providing benefits retroactively justifies theft and extortion is the patently ridiculous argument that it is necessary for the people to be forcibly controlled and robbed so that government can protect them from the bad people who might otherwise 
forcibly control and rob them. This absurd, contorted rationalization is quite common. Whether this discussion relates to an authoritarian military or domestic law enforcement, and statists rely on fear-mongering to bolster such lunacy, making dire predictions about all the unpleasant things they theorize would occur if the people were not forcibly robbed via a massive authoritarian extortion racket. Again, such silly arguments are never made in situations where authority is not involved. No one would accept the claim that it is okay for a restaurant to force one to pay for food he did not order, on the grounds that, otherwise the person might starve. No one would accept the claim that it is okay for a builder to force somebody to pay for a building he did not order, on the grounds that, otherwise the person might be homeless. But even more ridiculous would be the claim that it is okay for one street gang to run a protection racket so that they can have the resources to keep all the other dangerous street gangs out of their city. Yet, that is exactly the attempted justification for all government. That it must be allowed to commit aggression against everyone, so that it can protect them from others who might commit aggression against them. Supporters of a strong police force or a powerful military, both of which are funded via forcibly confiscated wealth, have accepted the premise that it's not only okay, but necessary for people to be oppressed, controlled, and extorted by government, as long as it's done for their own good. And the fact that authoritarian protectors not only fail to prevent crime or war, but dramatically increase both via warmongering and creating illegal markets, seems to go unnoticed by those who advocate defense via government. Again, it's only because authority is imagined to have the right to commit aggression that anyone would ever make the insane argument that it is proper to initiate violence against people in order to protect them. Violence by default Much of the time, people will advocate a forcibly imposed authoritarian plan simply because they are not sure what would happen if they did not or are not sure how something would be accomplished if people were left in freedom. For example, if someone has a hard time picturing how a completely private road system would function, he will usually advocate a government plan funded by coercion. If he is not sure how well free people could defend themselves without a standing army, he will likely advocate an authoritarian military solution funded by coercive taxation. Those who believe in government advocate violence by default. All it takes is a little uncertainty and ignorance to cause the average person to advocate a coercive government plan for just about anything. This is not how people behave in their day-to-day -day lives. The average person does not go around initiating violence against everyone he meets because he's not sure that everyone he meets will otherwise behave properly and make the right decisions. But that is precisely what most statists do via government. They advocate widespread, forcible control of millions of human beings simply because they are not entirely sure that people, if left in freedom, would spend their money the way they should, treat others the way they should, find peaceful, effective solutions to problems, etc. By way of the superstition of authority, statists can comfortably advocate the violent subjugation of their neighbors, simply because they are not quite sure how their neighbors would otherwise behave. And all those who crave power exploit that fact to their advantage.
All the politician needs to do in order to get support for an authoritarian power grab is to tell the public that things might not work very well if he left people in freedom. He does not even need to wait until someone actually does something dishonest or malicious or negligent or otherwise destructive. All he has to do is suggest the possibility that if people are left in freedom, bad things might happen. Because advocates of government violence do not recognize law as violence, the threshold at which they support an authoritarian, coerced solution is very low. Those who crave power can simply suggest that some plan might help someone somewhere, and many people will condone legal violence based upon that premise alone. A lot of government violence is based upon the guesses about what might happen as a result of what people might do. For example, much of the state coercion done in the name of environmentalism is based upon the idea that the state must forcibly control the choices of everyone because otherwise, people might make choices that contribute to global warming, the end of the rainforest, the extinction of animals, and so on. Few people acting on their own would commit aggression based upon a guess about possible indirect consequences of the non-malicious, non-violent actions of others. Yet that is commonplace in government policy. As another example of advocating government violence by default, consider the practice of forcibly preventing foreigners from setting foot anywhere in an entire country without the written permission of the ruling class of that country. Such immigration laws create something akin to the war mentality, where an entire demographic category of people is criminalized and demonized, and subjugated to acts of aggression, based upon concerns about what some of those people might do. People opine that many illegals are criminals, or come into the country just to receive benefits. Regardless of how often such allegations are accurate, the result is that all illegals, Anyone who is in the country without the permission of the politicians are forcibly controlled. This is the result of pack mentality, guilt by association. It should go without saying that using violence against one person because he is not of the same race, or from the same country, or in some other way similar to someone else who has actually caused harm, is utterly unjustified. Of note, the attempts by government to quell illegal immigration also result in aggression being perpetrated against many legal residents as well as illegals at the Border Patrol checkpoints, many of which are not even at the borders. To stop and question everyone driving down a road because someone might be there illegally is precisely the kind of unjustified aggression commonly committed by government agents and rarely committed by anyone else. This violence by default can also be seen in the intrusive searches and interrogations of anyone who attempts to fly on an airplane in the land of the free. For the owner of a plane to put conditions on anyone who wants to ride in his plane, and this would also apply to a train, a car, or anything else, is very different from a third party forcibly preventing anyone from riding on an airplane anywhere in the entire country unless the would-be passengers first subjected themselves to questioning, searches of their luggage, and even strip searches of themselves by the agents of the third party, people would never tolerate any private individual behaving in this way. With the attitude of, I'd better force my will on everyone else, just in case. But for the agents of authority, 
The tactic is commonplace, and people imagine it to be legitimate. In fact, they often demand that authority do such things. In their day-to-day lives, nonviolence is the default type of behavior for most people. While there are occasional physical conflicts, most people go to great lengths to avoid them. Not only by trying not to start a fight, but also to try to defuse tense situations. Even when a fight does occur, both sides usually end up walking away. Each day, billions of people find ways to peacefully coexist, even when they have significantly different viewpoints, beliefs, and attitudes. But that is in their personal lives. When it comes to politics, violence is the default. Every voter, to one extent or another, seeks to have his own views and ideas forcibly inflicted upon everyone else through the mechanism of government. The default is not to let others do their own thing or to try to get along peacefully. The default is to advocate aggression against absolutely everyone by way of the authoritarian coercion called law. There is a mind-bogglingly huge disconnect between what the average person views as civilized behavior on an individual basis and what he views as legitimate and civilized when it comes to the actions of authority. It's difficult to imagine anyone behaving in his personal life the way voters behave when it comes to politics. Such a person would be constantly robbing others, friends and strangers alike, of huge sums of money to fund things that he deemed important, as well as using threats, physical force, and even kidnapping to coerce others into making whatever decisions he thinks would be best for his victims, or for society in general. In short, anyone who has acted in private life the way all statists act in the political arena would be immediately recognized as a thug, a thief, or a lunatic. But doing the exact same thing via government, advocating mass extortion and thuggery, is accepted by most as something that normal, civilized people should do. In fact, They sometimes refer to voting as a duty, as if it's actually immoral not to advocate coercive controlling of one's neighbors. Amazingly and ironically, the only people who do not advocate constant widespread violence and coercion via government, known as voluntarists or anarchists, are usually viewed by the majority as being weird, uncivilized, and dangerous. How the Myth Defeats Virtue Almost all parents routinely send their children two completely contradictory messages. First, it is inherently wrong to steal, hit, bully, etc. And second, it's good to obey authority. Almost everything that authority does constitutes bullying, using violence or the threat of violence to control the behavior of others and take their property. Every authority figure, from a school teacher to the dictator of a country, not only coercively controls his underlings on a regular basis, but also speaks and acts as if he has the absolute, unquestionable right to do so. So the teacher is always forcibly imposing his will on the students, while at the same time telling them that it is wrong for them to forcibly impose their will on others. It is the ultimate example of the hypocritical message Do as I say, not as I do. If children were raised with the idea that it is inherently wrong to steal, hit, bully, etc., 
why would there be any societal need for them to also be taught respect for authority? It only trains them to be easier to manage and control, which is of benefit to those who seek domination over them, whether parents, teachers, or politicians, but does not train them to be any more civilized, compassionate, or humane. It does exactly the opposite. As the Milgram experiments demonstrated, in short, children are taught to be civilized human beings and then taught an insane superstition which overrides and renders obsolete everything they were taught about being civilized. This bizarre paradox can be seen all over the place in modern society. The average person would feel shame and guilt if he stole a hundred dollars from his neighbor but has no qualms about advocating, by the way of voting, that government take many thousands of dollars from that same neighbor. The average person will hold the door open for a stranger, but will, at the same time, advocate that the same stranger have much of his life forcibly controlled via the law. The superficial politeness and consideration most people exhibit is rendered meaningless and worthless by the massive levels of state coercion and aggression they advocate. Even the Nazis had proper table manners, said please and thank you in German, showed proper etiquette, and were generally courteous when they were not committing mass murder. There is a dramatic contrast between how nearly all statists treat others in their personal lives and how they advocate that government treat others via the law. Millions of people who would be very reluctant to physically hit another human being, nonetheless, proudly condone the violence, subjugation, or outright murder of thousands of people. They call it supporting the troops. Some statists even say that they oppose the war but support the troops. This is comparable to saying that one opposes rape, but supports rapists. Because government troops always use coercion and violence against innocents. In addition to whatever defensive force they use, supporting the troops necessarily means supporting oppression. But because of pack mentality and an emotional attachment to one's fellow countrymen, many people try to disassociate the troops from what it is all the troops do. As another example of how the belief in authority distorts perception, many welfare recipients openly admit that, given the choice between accepting voluntary donated gifts from people they knew and receiving something that government forcibly took from a complete stranger, they prefer the latter, because it is, in their mind, the less shameful of the two options. The fact that anyone would ever prefer accepting stolen property over accepting compassion and generosity shows just how profoundly the belief in authority warps people's sense of morality. In short, every statist, everyone who believes in government, deceives himself into believing that he is a good person who supports good things and opposes injustice, hallucinating in himself a respect for his fellow man while at the same time advocating that his fellow man be forcibly controlled, extorted, imprisoned, or even killed. The authority superstition is burrowed in the minds of the masses so deeply that they can advocate evil on a massive, nearly incomprehensible level, while still imagining themselves to be charitable and compassionate. They demand that government do things that they would never dream of doing on their own. 
They imagine themselves to be nonviolent, civilized, enlightened beings while routinely advocating that all of their neighbors be robbed and forcibly controlled and put into cages or killed if they resist. In truth, mankind's superficial charity, compassion, and civility is nothing but a cruel joke when compared to what almost everyone will do or what they will ask others to do in the name of authority. Many parents and teachers regularly repeat what is perhaps the most basic rule of humanity, something called the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. However, none of the teachers and almost none of the parents who preach that rule actually live by it because they condone that authority forcibly control underlings inside the classroom and out. The golden rule is essentially a formula for anarchy. If someone does not like to be dominated and forcibly controlled, he should not advocate that others be dominated and forcibly controlled. If one wants to be left in peace, he should leave others in peace. If one desires the freedom to run his own life, he should allow others the freedom to do likewise. To put it bluntly, advocating aggression against others, including via any form of government, is utterly incapable with being a charitable, considerate, compassionate, kind, decent, loving human being. And the only reason so many otherwise good people continue to advocate widespread constant aggression via government is because they have been duped into accepting the lie that there is a creature called authority that is not bound by the moral standards that apply to human beings. Liberal Cowardice To be blunt, People want authority to exist because they themselves are immature cowards. They want an all-powerful entity to impose their will upon others. This takes different forms in different varieties of political advocacy, but the basic motivation is always the same. The liberal, for example, resents reality. He does not want a world in which suffering and injustice are possible. But instead of doing what he can as a human being, he wants a government to do it for him. He wants some magical entity to make sure that everyone, himself included, is fed, housed, and taken care of, no matter how lazy or irresponsible they are. Instead of trusting human beings to take care of each other, he wants a superhuman authority to guarantee housing, food, health care, and all sorts of other things for everyone. He wants it so badly that he refuses to accept the obvious truth that no such guarantee is ever possible, and that if mere mortals do not take care of themselves and each other, nothing else will take care of them. The liberal views the world as a continuation of the classroom, where there is always an authority in charge and in control who will make sure that the good kids are rewarded and protected from the bad kids. Each child is told what to do and taken care of, and all that is asked of him is that he does as he is told. He is expected to bear no responsibility at all for his own well-being, except through his obedience to the authority. He does not provide his own food, or his own shelter, or his own protection, or anything else. He simply has faith that authorities, e.g. teachers and parents, 
will provide for him. He is raised in a setting which bears no resemblance to reality and is taught to look to authority for all his needs. And the liberal continues to do exactly that, long after he leaves school. He speaks of each person having a right to housing, food, health care, and other things, as if some giant tooth fairy is obligated to make such things magically appear for everyone. The nature of reality, though it stares him in the face every day, is too disturbing for him to acknowledge, because it's so different from the world he grew up in, where authority was responsible for everything. The government programs supported by liberals are a manifestation of their own delusional terror of reality and refusal to see the world as it is. They fear uncertainty so much that they try to hallucinate into existence a superhuman entity, a government, that can somehow overcome all the uncertainties of reality and create an always safe, always predictable world. And when the mythological savior not only fails to fix the world, but makes everything far worse, as happened with collectivist regimes of the Soviet Union, Cuba, China, and many others, the liberal still refuses to let go of his blind faith in the omniscient, omnipotent God called government. A simple analogy makes all liberal political theory collapse. If a hundred people were shipwrecked on an island, what would it even mean to say that everyone there has a right to food, or that everyone has a right to health care, or the right to a job, or the right to a living wage? If, for example, someone has a right to housing, and housing comes only from the knowledge, skills, and efforts of other people, it means that one person has the right to force another person to build him a house. This is exactly what happens in a larger context when liberals advocate that some people be forcibly robbed via taxation in order to provide benefits for others. The notion that people, by virtue of their mere existence, are entitled to all sorts of things, things which come into being only as a result of human knowledge and effort, is delusional. The logical result of this supposedly loving and compassionate viewpoint is violence and slavery. Because if one's need entitles him to something, that means it must be forcibly taken from anyone else who has it or can produce it if he is not willing to supply it willingly. The fact that such a short-sighted, animalistic attitude, collectivism, is portrayed as a progressive, compassionate philosophy does not change the fact that it is, in reality, indistinguishable from the philosophy of rats and cockroaches. Regardless of who produced something, if someone else wants it, or claims to need it, he should forcibly take it. The Communist Manifesto expresses this from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. Of course, there is a fundamental difference between suggesting that people who have wealth to spare ought to voluntarily help the less fortunate, and advocating that violence should be used to make things fair. Government programs are never about asking people to help each other. They are always about using threats and aggression to force people to do certain things and behave in certain ways. But the myth of authority allows liberals to advocate widespread, constant violence and intimidation, while still imagining themselves to be caring and compassionate. In essence, what political leftists want is an all-knowing, all-powerful mommy 
to force people to share and play nice, and they ignore the fact that there is no such thing, and that imagining such a thing only adds violence, suffering, and misery to society. Conservative Cowardice As much as political liberals want a giant mommy state to protect and take care of everyone, political conservatives want a giant daddy state doing the same thing. The results are slightly different, but the underlying delusion is the same. The desire for an all-powerful authority to protect humanity from reality. The right-wing delusion focuses less on motherly pampering and hand-holding and focuses more on fatherly protection and discipline. Conservatives want authority to be used to create a big, powerful protection machine, and to firmly impose morality upon the population, which they imagine to be necessary for the survival of mankind. Their denial of reality is just as strong as that of the leftists. Again, the island analogy demonstrates the point well. If a hundred people were shipwrecked on an island, who would imagine that forcing most of them to serve and obey a protector would be necessary or useful? And who would imagine that letting one or two of them forcibly impose their morals on the rest would make such a group more virtuous? A conservative daddy form of government is the equivalent of a disciplinarian father who acts as a protector of the family from outside forces, the equivalent to government military and protector of each member of the family from others in the family, the equivalent of domestic law enforcement, and the one who keeps undesirables away from the family, the equivalent of immigration laws, as well as the enforcer of morality who punishes family members who disobey the rules. This last item equates to laws against pornography, prostitution, gambling, drug use, and other habits and behaviors which although they do not constitute force or fraud against anyone, are thought by many to be destructive physically, morally, or spiritually to those who engage in them. But trying to forcibly impose morality is more damaging than the behaviors themselves. Aside from the fact that no one has the right to forcibly control the nonviolent choices of another, it is also horribly dangerous to set the precedent that it is okay to use violence to stamp out unseemingly or distasteful behavior. Once such a premise is accepted in principle, human society will be a constant war of everyone against everyone. There will never be a time when everyone shares the same values and viewpoints. Peace and freedom cannot exist if every difference of opinion and every difference in lifestyle or behaviors leads to violent conflict via government coercion. Civilization, a state of peaceful coexistence, is not the result of everyone believing the same thing, but of the people agreeing to refrain from the initiation of violence, even against people who do not believe in the same things. Conservative statism, just as much as the liberal version, guarantees perpetual strife and conflict because it seeks to override free will and individual judgment with the so-called morality of a ruling class, whose first principle is forced conformity and sameness. Of course, violence cannot create virtue, even if it sometimes creates obedience. So, all attempts by authority to coerce people into being moral and virtuous are doomed to fail. And ultimately, 
do nothing but increase the levels of violence and conflict in society. True Tolerance The belief in authority is so strong that many people automatically associate disapproving of something with wanting to have government make it illegal. In their private lives, most people would never dream of resorting to violence against every person they encounter who has a habit or lifestyle they find unpleasant. Nearly everyone on a regular basis tolerates choices and behaviors from others that he doesn't approve of. Of course, to tolerate something merely means to allow it to exist, i.e. to refrain from trying to forcibly stamp it out. It does not mean to condone or approve of it. True tolerance is what allows people with different viewpoints and belief systems to coexist peacefully. Ironically, tolerance is often used by statists as an excuse to engage in intolerance. For example, if an employer chooses not to do business with someone based upon that person's race, religion, sexual orientation, or some other general characteristic, some call that intolerance, which it is not and then advocate that authority use the force of law to coerce the employer to hire whomever authority thinks he should. And that is intolerance, because it amounts to refusing to allow a person to make his own choices about who to associate with and who to trade with. This is only one of the many examples of how the belief in authority exacerbates the differences and introduces violence where it would not otherwise occur. There are several nonviolent ways in which people can discourage behavior they disapprove of. Consider the example of a business owner who refuses to hire blacks, which, repugnant as it may be, is not an act of aggression. Those who find such a policy offensive could boycott the person's business or speak out against his practices or beliefs. Instead, the common response to such a situation is for status to petition those in authority to force supposedly fair and enlightened choices upon everyone. The same holds true for other social problems. The fight over whether same-sex marriages should be legally recognized or outlawed is nothing but a competition of intolerance from both sides. It is not justified to forcibly prevent two men from saying they are married, nor is it justified to force anyone else to recognize such a relationship as marriage. The notion that everyone has to have the same idea of what constitutes marriage, or anything else, is a symptom of conformity fascism. Likewise, obscenity laws seek to forcibly limit what people may read or view. Narcotics laws, as well as much of what the FDA does, constitute attempts to forcibly limit which substances people may ingest. Minimum wage laws try to forcibly control what two people are allowed to agree upon. Anti-discrimination laws attempt to force people into making deals and associations they do not want to make. Laws such as the Americans with Disabilities Act are attempts to use force in the name of fairness to control what services people can offer, such as shutting down a business if the owner cannot afford to install a wheelchair ramp. All such laws, all such acts of authority and government, are acts of aggression, the exact opposite of tolerance. It's absurd to try to force people into being nice, or fair, or compassionate, not only because aggression is inherently wrong, but also because there will never be only one idea of what is nice, fair, and compassionate. To have millions of people constantly fighting over the sword of authority 
each hoping to forcibly impose his view of goodness upon everyone else, has been the direct cause of most of the violence and oppression in history. Though it may seem counterintuitive, this fact is historically indisputable. Most of evil committed throughout history has come from attempts to use authority to accomplish good things. The Constitution of the Soviet Union, for example, described an authority which was to treat everyone equally, regardless of race or religion, occupation or sex, and to preserve the individual rights of all citizens in their economic, political, and social lives. The rights enumerated in the Soviet Constitution included freedom of speech and freedom of religion, the right to work, the right to rest and leisure, the right to housing, the right to education, the right to health care, and the rights of their citizens to be cared for in their old age, among other things. The real-world result of that noble-sounding experiment, however, was constant, violent repression, harassment and intimidation, economic enslavement, forced suppression of thoughts and opinions, widespread poverty, and the murders of tens of millions of human beings, many via intentionally orchestrated starvation. The Constitution of the People's Republic of China is very similar to that of the Soviet Union, and the results were very similar as well. Widespread violent repression and tyranny, as well as mass murder, the attempt by Chinese authorities to use violence of the state to reduce population growth has had particularly horrendous and deplorable results. Tyrants have always professed to have the noblest of intentions for what they do, but even good intentions, when added to the belief in authority, always result in immoral violence, sometimes to an almost incomprehensible degree. Even without all the historical examples, it should be obvious that trying to achieve compassion and fairness, love and virtue, cooperation and brotherhood, by way of authoritarian aggression and violence, is insane, and that government, by its very nature, as a tool of forcible control, can never and will never lead to justice, peace, and harmony. It is also worth noting that the political left and right are both enamored with the concept of equality. With the political right pushing for equality under the law, and the left pushing for equality of outcomes, but neither actually wants true equality, because they both exempt the ruling class from such equality. True equality rules out all government, because a ruler and a subject are obviously and can never be equals. What the statists actually want is equality among the slaves, but enormous inequality between the slaves and the masters. This again shows that they view government as being superhuman, because it never occurs to them, as they push for equality for all, that the equality should also include the politicians and the police.